You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to share with you from Philippians. I'm so thankful to be invited uh, to be speaking again, and I, I, it's a great privilege. Uh, you guys know how much Joe loves you, so to be invited by Joe to speak to you guys is quite humbling. And, uh, and so I, I was here last time, and I, I taught in Philippians chapter 1, and uh, didn't even do the first verse. <laughs> uh, because I was thinking of the idea of Paul and Timothy to the church in Philippi. Like, how does that happen? How do you have Paul? How does Timothy get involved? How did Paul start? How do they get to Philippi? Uh, there's so much backstory in ministry and thinking of you guys and all the backstory in every single one of these seats. You know, we're just listening to our brother share the word and he's talking about how he's got this intense pain in his right side. I didn't know that. There's all this backstory, you know, and... Uh, every single one of us, every single one of us here has all this backstory, and, and uh, I love the book of Philippians for that. And so I felt like since I got back, invited back, I should just keep teaching in Philippians. But I'm not going to do very much again. Uh, I want to draw your attention to uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, I want you to know, brethren that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And you guys know the setting here. Uh, the Philippian church was very dear to Paul. He had a very unique relationship with them that was unlike his relationship with the Corinthians, as Damien was teaching us last night. The Corinthians uh, and Paul were not always on the same page, and uh, that was quite a wrestling match in ministry. Some of you guys probably were relating last night, thinking, I think I pastor the Corinthian church. Uh, there's some Corinthians. There's seven of them in my church. And, uh, and thank you, Damien. Now I can't quit. So... The Philippians were very, very different. The Philippians were generous, and they were humble. It was a church born in adversity. Uh, and, and he says to them, you were the only church that I was willing to receive offerings from. Paul was really careful about his example. He wasn't wanting to give the wrong example. And he knew false teachers would come, and false teachers are primarily interested in something small, small, as they say in West Africa. Just give me something small, small. And uh, someone's been to West Africa, or they, at least they know the small, small. Uh, you know, we just, I just need some money. The false teachers are always interested in money. So Paul was very wise, and he was careful to be this example. This money has nothing to do with what I'm doing. I don't care about money. It has nothing to do with it. And almost to the point where he, he like set a benchmark at what, like, I want to call it extreme because I think it's the balance, but... He just said, like, I work with my own. He tells the Ephesian elders, you know that with my own hands, I provided for my team. It wasn't like Paul had a team of workers that worked while Paul taught. Paul worked. Imagine if you were on Paul's team, and you're like, how can I help you? Well, can you sew? And you're like, and he's like, just give me that. And he's sewing. He's, he's a tent maker. He, he's got this skill. Uh, so he, he was on purpose, wanting to set this example. But with the Philippians, he had a freedom. They were right there with him. He didn't have to explain this to them. They just, it was like this thing where they saw what was happening. They were, they were in, man. We're all in. And, uh, and so it's a different kind of a letter that uh, he writes to them. They loved him so much. And you know, you guys have taught this. So you know, the, the main purpose of, his, of this letter, it's a thank you note. Epaphroditus had come with a gift. And he wants to say thank you. Epaphroditus risked his life to get to Rome from Philippi to find the prisoner with this offering that came from Philippi. And uh, Paul says, I want to I just say thank you. I'm not in need. I'm good. But thank you. It's really good that you guys did this. I appreciate it. I love you guys. 
But listen, I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I pray that God would bless you guys for your love gift to me. It just means so much. I mean, so he's very, very close to them. And he hears from Epaphroditus that all the people are so worried about Paul. Uh, you know, one of the things about the Calvary magazine or social media is we can be more connected with each other. Uh, so we become friends on Facebook, and then you see, oh, yeah, I saw your daughter's getting married. Or, oh, man, I, you know, I know you're sick. You know, and you, you get to follow someone's life and what they're going through. You don't talk on the phone, but you're praying for them. You know, what you know they're going through something. And we get this connectedness, and so you start to have empathy uh, for people. So the Philippians were, were feeling Paul's pain and his suffering. He's in prison. They don't want to see Paul in prison and, uh, and so he's writing to them, and he says in the verse that we read, I don't want you to misunderstand my circumstances. Paul has a perspective, and I was thankful that Damien didn't completely steal my Bible study. Just mostly stole it. He robbed from rich to give to the poor. Uh, Some of you guys are getting that joke. So uh, the idea that um, Paul's our example. I mean, God allowed this guy, this terrorist and, and, and violent person to get saved, called him from his mother's womb, separated him to the gospel in the fullness of time, brings him to faith equips him, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, and sends him, to, sends him to us knucklehead idol worshipers, the nations, and he's our apostle, the legalist. The guy who knows legalism comes to help us not become legalistic. And he teaches us grace because he knows the opposite. He knows all about it, so he gives us Romans and Galatians. He knows that, man, you might as well just cut yourself off, right? We're the true, we're the true circumcision, not the concision, that's the chop-offs, right? That the legalist is teaching us that. He's our apostle, and, and, and he's sent to us, and, and he's the example in the New Testament. There's Jesus, obviously, and, and then we have Paul. Paul is the, the primary example of a minister. We just had an amazing teaching. John walked us through that passage in Colossians, and John stole what was left of my message, so I'm going to close in a minute. Uh, just, all I had left was a little bit of an intro, so I'm just about done. Don, Don, hold that door. I'm coming. Uh, so uh, this idea of suffering for the furtherance of the gospel. The example, Paul, Paul sets for us this, you know what it looks like now. You look at this guy. That's what we're doing. You can look at a lot of different examples. Choose wisely the examples you're going to follow. Uh, Choose well. uh, Because you'll become like your teacher. The disciple becomes like his master. So choose your master well because you're going to become like them. And uh, Paul says, I don't want you to to not have the right perspective about what I'm going through. I have a certain perspective about the things that I'm going through. And I want you to have that. It's for the furtherance of the gospel. And you say, oh yeah, I'm all about that. I'm all about the gospel. I'm a gospel man. They had, again, a great exhortation uh, in the previous session. And I'm laboring, agonizing for the gospel till I can present every man complete in Christ. I want to teach the word. I'm a verse-by-verse guy. We're on our fourth time through the Bible at our church. And uh, I didn't... I'm 53 years old. I've been the pastor of the church for 20 some 25 years, 26 years. And uh, we've gone through three times. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm in my 50s. I've been studying or teaching the Bible pretty much full-time for about 35 years. Just very devoted student of the Bible. I love the Bible. God's given me a really good memory that's fading quickly. Uh, <laughs> it used to really work, but believe me, it did. But it doesn't anymore. But uh, so, so I was thinking as we're finished, we're getting, you know, you know, when you're finishing the Bible verse by verse, you get, you're like, okay, I'm getting close. You know, you start to get to the little epistle, the smaller one. You're like, okay, I can go through this one. And then like you start, I don't ever plan ahead, but I start even, even I can figure that out. It's like, well, it's Jude. I'm getting to the end. And, uh, 
better start thinking about, you know, I know, the, well, he might come. I'm hoping, I'm hoping uh, this morning for the Lord to come back uh, since I'm still in my intro and the other guy's still in my Bible study. But uh, I was praying and I started thinking about David uh, in middle age, probably maybe around my age. And the kings normally go out to battle and you become established, you become you know, you could maybe, uh, like we just heard, you know, cruise control or whatever. And I was praying, Lord, I don't want to go on cruise control. And the Lord reminded me, I, I'm from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Uh, I got saved in a different denomination and went to their university. But God sent Pastor Chuck to uh, teach at one of our chapel services. And God moved me to Calvary Chapel. And then I worked at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. So I've heard, a lot, I've been in church all the time every Sunday and, and uh, obviously listening to the tapes, but uh, listening to Chuck and hearing all the different stories. And uh, I remember uh, Pastor Chuck, when he first went to Costa Mesa in 1965, uh, I remember him saying, I wanted to go through the whole Bible. And so, and we went through the Bible in a little over two years. I thought, oh my goodness, you know, how did, in the world did that happen? And, and, uh, and then he, they liked it so much, they did it again. So one of the things you guys need to know about the Jesus movement, when all these young people start coming in in like 69, 70, 71, whatever, uh, there's a congregation, probably maybe the size of yours, that had been through the Bible twice. That's amazing. And, and I, I was, I've always known that story and thought about it. And I know some of the people when I was on staff at Costa Mesa, were, they were still around, you know, they were still alive and... and part of the ministry team and meeting some of them and hearing about, you know, that time in the church's history. And, uh, and so the Lord started speaking to me, uh, you know, you're dumb three times. Like, I want you to go through the Bible like that. 15 chapters in the Old Testament every week. And, uh, or no, 15 Psalms, 10 chapters in the Old Testament. When you get to the New Testament, do five and 15 Psalms. We're in the Psalms. We started in April. We're in the Psalms. I'll be doing Psalm 60 through 75 when I get home. And uh, guys, trying to teach 15 chapters so that you just don't sound like an idiot is hard. I could teach all of Psalms in one Bible study. It's about worship, suffering, a couple of highlights. I could mail that one in right now. I could also probably, I mean, I've taught through the Bible three times. I know what the Bible says. I know what it means. I know how to apply it. But how do you keep having something? How do you, how do you, how do you keep it fresh? How do you, and, and, and the Lord's been, been uh, really encouraging me. And I want to encourage you guys today. Uh, yeah, you're a gospel guy. Yeah, you're a verse by verse guy. Amen. But I want you to think through your choice. And I think the theme the Lord's developing here uh, about the furtherance of the gospel and, and what the cost is for that. And what that means and, and why God does the things that he does the way that he does it. I, I did a little word study on the word furtherance. I want you to know the things that have happened to me have happened for or turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The word furtherance is a, a compound word in Greek. You guys know that a lot of times when you're looking up a Greek word, you'll see a prefix on the word. A lot of times it'll be a pros or an epi, or an ek, or, you know, there's some kind of little word at the front. And Greek has this way where they, they can uh, emphasize what they're saying by attaching a prefix that'll tell you the direction. It's inward, it's outward, it's upon, it's under, it's over, it's next to, it's with. Uh, and so this is the word, the, the, the main part of this word for furtherance is the word for cut, or to smash, or to hit, to strike a blow, and then the word uh, pro, which will be like towards. So literally, it's like to cut towards. Furtherance is to cut towards. We have something similar in English, not exactly the same, but similar. Uh, maybe to help you understand what I'm trying to say, we have the word trailblaze. Now, if you had a friend from another country, he's just learning English, he doesn't know all the words we use, and you say, hey, we're going to go hiking and we're going to trailblaze. What's he going to think you're going to do? Set the forest on fire. I live in California. We don't trailblaze, okay? I mean, you saw what happened in our state. We've had the most catastrophic fire seasons two years in a row. The, the worst fire we ever had was two years ago. And then this year we had the, or the year before last, then this year, the worst fire. Again, we, like we outdid ourselves. So we don't trailblaze. We hike now. Like, yeah. 
But, but you use that word. If, so if I'm hiking with you, and you're a hiker experienced, I'm an experienced hiker, and you go, yeah, we're going to be on the trail until we get to this point as we're going along, but, I know, but we want to get on this route, and so we're going to trailblaze. I've hiked. I know what trailblaze means. That's why you use the word. It means, well, you're going to go through the bushes. You're going to probably get stabbed. You probably might get stabbed in the eye. You know, you're going to be scratched. You're, you're going to be torn up, but, you know, it's a, maybe it's a shortcut or, you know, it'll be a better view or whatever reason we're doing it. But trailblaze has an implication, right? You use that word. You can say hike if you want to hike. You can say we're going to hoof it. I go, oh, hoof it. Well, that's a great expression. Hoof. Hey, I don't got no hoofs. <laughs> well, if you say we're going to hoof it, then I know, okay, all right, I better get, I better get in shape, you know. Uh, we're gonna, I'm, it's going to be hiking like an animal, right? So we, words we use mean something. They're, they're idioms. They're built in. They're, you're trying to say something, you want to say it a certain way. This is for the furtherance of the gospel. Every man in this room is all about the furtherance of the gospel, right? I want to further the gospel. The word is cut forward, cut toward. Are you still into it? Arndt and Gingrich, you know, uh, if you guys are new to, uh, to books or whatever, I saw John you know, was giving a, a list of commentaries. Those are always helpful. If you don't have a, the, the, the lexicon for Greek that you want to have in your library, is, uh, it's, the, the, the acronym is BDAG, so it's Bauer. Uh, the D stands for Danker, Bauer, Danker, Arndt, and Gingrich. It's about this fat. used to be green. It's all digital now. You can just click a button and open it up. But you want to get... BDAG in your library. It's, it's a, by far the best lexicon. And it always gives you the most basic, and it, almost of the time it's a really uh, good definition. And, and so I looked at the word up there. As I saw the compound, I was like, I wonder what this is. And so they gave me the basic. It's a movement forward to an improved state. I'm like, okay, that wasn't helpful. Progress, advancement, or furtherance. I'm like, okay, well, they bailed on me that time. Sometimes the lexicons are not your friends. So then I looked in Kittles. Now, I just have to make a confession. Uh, when I was in Bible college, the university I attended, Kittles was the mark of manhood. There's a few guys, old school guys, know. This was the big, it's the Kittles Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. And it's like 10 volumes, and they're fat, and you put it on your shelf. And when you walk in, you see the Kittles on the shelf, and you're like, dude, that guy's, he's got Kittles. But, <laughs> but then you look at Kittles, Kittles is never, like the books look brand new. Like, how long have you had Kittles? I got that in, you know, 1945. Do you ever open it? I mean, <laughs> and, there, you know, yeah, once. And then I started reading. I was like, I don't know, these guys, they put me to sleep. You know, like, you, you talk about wading through the forest to find a piece of a valuable thing. So I'm not really necessarily recommending Kittles. Uh, I'm not not recommending it, but you got to learn how to skim and uh, look and don't trust them. Uh, go back to the context. So, having built up your confidence in my quote, uh, I looked up Kittles and I thought, there's, there's more going on with the, this word forming. You know, there's something. And so they started with the etymology of the word. And this is what, what they said. Uh, originally, it's probably a nautical term. And then they quote is to make headway in spite of blows. So you've seen a boat and you see the swell and it's and when the bow hits and what it's an eruption of force because this force is coming, man. Gale force winds are coming and then and you're on the shore, you're like, are they getting out of the harbor? They're no. <laughs> No, they're making progress. Yeah. They're making progress. And the guys on the boat are... Another derivation that... Then they, you know, if you read Kittles, there's like seven pages of argument about this. So uh, I'm summarizing it for you. Uh, they said, less likely etymology is of a smith, a blacksmith, lengthening the metal by blows. 
So I got this hunk of metal. I want to turn it into a sword. It's this fat. So, man, I put it in the fire. And then what do I do? Bam! Bam! You come in, you see your friend. He's just ripped. Ken Graves is making, I'm making metal. <laughs> what are you doing, Ken? I read a Bible holder. <laughs> steal for the steal of the word. Welcome to the gun show, right? He's like, there's the metal, and boom, boom, boom. You're like, are you making any progress? I've got to put it back in the fire. Put it in the fire and bring it back out and beat it some more. And again, some, you make, I'm making a little progress. It's going for the furtherance. That's the word, the furtherance. That's the word Paul chose. Put it back in the fire, and I'm going to beat it more. The furtherance. And then they point out another way that it's used, and they, this, there was quite a bit of argument about this also as the last one. They, and this one probably they says the least likely etymology because it's used later. But uh, I thought it was a, because it's actually the exact meaning of the, of the main word. Uh, it's, it's used actually of an army that's making an, advan- an advance by cutting down trees. There's no road, so we're making a road. We're cutting a trail. Do you ever cut a trail? You ever, you ever clear some area? So, so that's the word. We're making, are you guys making progress? Well, we've got to chop down a lot of trees. But you can see them making progress. They're making progress, but it's progress by blows, progress by cuts, by smashing, by buffeting. So you're still interested in the furtherance of the gospel? You want things to happen to you that are going to further the gospel? Because that's what Paul said. Here's my perspective, guys. He said, you're watching me not make it out of, the, out of the harbor. And you think, boy, Paul must be taking a beating out there. I've got to tell you guys, I'm out on the boat, and we're charging. Don't, don't have the wrong perspective about what we're doing. We knew exactly what we were doing when we got on this boat and started to do what we were doing. You, don't see, you, you think that we're having a hard time with the progress. Well, we know that this progress comes by blows. So not, I don't want you to misunderstand my circumstances. And this raises implications or questions for me personally are you feeling smashed are you feeling buffeted are you feeling hammered that's the feeling of furtherance that's what it feels like furtherance doesn't feel differently or paul would have used a different word and you're making progress it's through cutting it's through difficulty so are you still interested in making progress? How does the gospel go forward? It goes forward with blows and with difficulties, and they're constant and they're unrelenting. I remember when I was working at, at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, Romaine was my boss. You guys that know Romaine, he was a Marine Corps uh, sergeant, uh, 22 years in the Marine Corps, World War II vet, I think six months on Guadalcanal, and... Uh, Said what he said, what you needed to hear, whether you wanted to hear it or not. And uh, I was going through, I was kind of struggling, you know, feeling like I, I hate the church, I hate the people, I hate being a janitor, pretty sure I hate God, hate myself most of all. I'm just full of hate. And I, and I went up to him, I said, Hey, Ro, uh, uh, well, you know, if you're, if you're picking up the, well, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but we had a good relationship. I said, hey, Ro, you ever lose your edge? He, I think he was 71 at the time. I go, you ever lose your edge? He said, all the time. I thought, that's really discouraging. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're, you're like the most servant-hearted, you know, Pastor Chuck and Romaine. They were just godly, humble servants. Not perfect men. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not idolizing them. But, uh, if, I mean, I had tremendous examples as pastors. So don't have anything negative to say. And, uh. I just thought, man, I, be, I, mean, I want to be you. What do you mean? You're like, I'm going to have to find a new uh, example. Because you're, you know, yeah, all the time. And I, and I looked at him, I said, well, what do you do? You lose your edge. What do you do? And he looks at me and he goes, you get it back. <laughs> and he turned around and walked away. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that figures. I should have known. <laughs> There's no other way. 
This is a 2,000-year-old letter written from a jail. Love between brothers. It's family. They heard about what he's going through. They send a brother. He risks his neck to get there to give him the thing. He's writing a thank you letter back. Epaphrodite almost dies to get the letter to him. Send a, send a message back. Thank you. But I don't want you guys to, to misunderstand that this is how the gospel goes forward. This is, this is what we're in for. There's no exception. This is the rule. This is the norm. This is not abnormal. This is normal. And so if what you're feeling is normal. If you decide, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, all right, you know, you know, I know most of the guys here are not senior pastors. So your ushers, your elders, your Sunday school teachers, your men's ministry, you're doing a, a married couples ministry, whatever. And you think, man, I'm, I'm going to be in. It's like, get ready. You're taking the boat out of the harbor. You're going to make progress. Well, I want to make progress. That's why they chose me. <laughs> I've been sitting in the front row taking notes of my pastor's teaching. I want to make some progress. Well, you're going to make progress. Like the metal makes progress when it's hit by the hammer. You're going to grow. The gospel is going to go forward. Like the army cutting through the trees. That's good. You're going to trailblaze. You're going to uh, make progress. That's the norm. And what kind of things is Paul talking about? And this is... This is good for us you know, it's good to have our brothers it's good to have our brothers share with us yesterday about suffering in a context that's different than the context of our suffering doesn't mean we're not suffering does i know the point is not you guys aren't suffering you're not going through what you're going through you are uh, but he kind of puts it in a context you think about another country and some of the difficulties that are happening there um, but what about paul's suffering i want you to think of the things that have happened to me what kind of things happen to paul well, he had a great idea. I want to make sure Jew and Gentile come together. Remember, Erez was teaching us about hostility. Paul wants to eliminate the hostility. So I know I got a great idea. I will, I will talk to the Gentile congregations, and we'll just get a love offering. I'll get representatives from all the congregations. We'll join together. We'll make our way down to Jerusalem, and we'll just hand it over and go, here's just something. No strings attached. We just want to bless you guys. We heard it was you going through a hard time. We just want to bless you guys. Man, Jew and Gentile, we're one. That's a great idea, isn't it? How well was he received? How'd that go? Well, it doesn't say. But what it does say, eh, I don't know how well it went. What it does say is, Paul presented the gift, and then they said, hey, we all heard that you're not into the law, so we got some dudes here that you can pay for. Go in there and redeem them, pay for their vow, and then everyone will know you're all good. Oh, whoa, okay. You know, I mean, it's almost like a, a little, I don't know, it doesn't... The Bible's silent, we've got to be silent. But when I read it, what it says, I kind of think, like, I don't know, maybe you should have, I don't know, I just wished it was something else emphasized, except for that Paul now has to jump through hoops because people have a bad attitude towards him. Seems kind of sad. And then, how did that go? Okay, I'll take him into the temple. And then what happened in the temple? A riot. And he's almost killed, and all of a sudden, all the legalistic guys, they're gone. By the way, that'll tell you about legalists when there's a fight. You want to be careful about legalism. Someone that's legal, legalistic will not le- lead you to lay down your life for your brother. They were gone. Paul gets arrested. Uh, then, uh, you know, then he's held as a political prisoner for how long? Two weeks. No. Two months. No. At least two years. No charges. No nothing. Held as a prisoner. Then, you know, they come and they're going to move him back to Jerusalem. He's going to get killed. And then he appeals to Caesar. And then off he goes to Rome. And then that went well. <laughs> There's a shipwreck. And, well, they got rescued. And that went well. You know, they're making a fire. And that's always good. <laughs> no, that's right. He got bit by a poisonous snake. That's right. After he was shipwrecked. After he was falsely accused and imprisoned. After his friends bailed on him. That sounds like a neat ministry. Uh, the gospel's going forward. I want an apostolic ministry. I'm an apostle. Oh, good. Now we'll know who's a piñata. I'm always, you know, someone wants to be an apostle. I'm like, 
What are you filled with candy? <laughs> I know some places are having an apostolic. I'm not going to say anything. I'll get in trouble, but it's like good. We'll know. We'll know who to hit. Paul's teaching them to see from his perspective. So then he's. Now he's in Rome awaiting his time before Caesar to find out what's going to happen. We don't have all the details of that. In the midst of that, Epaphroditus makes his way uh, with this gift. And so Paul says, listen, don't look at the things that have happened to me and misunderstand what's happening. Because he'll say in the next verses, I'm preaching the gospel to the Praetorian Guard. They're hearing the gospel. And he ends the letter with, those of Caesar's household send their greetings. It's like, you guys, I can't believe it. All expenses paid, trip to Rome. I'm actually staying in the palace. Well, kind of under the palace. Like, well, you know, maybe down the road a little bit, like below. Uh, and, dude, they chain them to me. <laughs> hey. How's it going? Now, th- their concern for him is okay. They, they love him, and so they think what's happening is bad. It's not going good for Paul. He's suffering. I love Paul, so therefore it's bad that he's suffering. But Paul says it's actually furthering the gospel. It's at his expense, but he's blessed to pay the price. We heard these verses, right? Damien quoted that verse last night. 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen. Though the more abundantly I love, the less I'm loved. Right? That... But the first part of that verse, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's, Paul, this is what I signed up for. I know that my role is to spend and be spent for your benefit. So Paul was choosing that. And, and uh, um, John stole the, my next verse. Uh, but thankfully he didn't spend too much time on it. I'm glad he had four points. I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I make up what that which is lacking of the sufferings of Christ in my body. Like, someone's going to have to take a hit. Like, like, Jesus took one for all of us so we could get saved. You can join in the sufferings of Jesus, and you can take one for the team. Someone's going to have to die for these guys to get the gospel. Someone's going to have to go without sleep for these guys to hear the word. Someone's going to have to suffer and get there with the word of God. Someone's going to have to be faithful when everybody's doing that. Someone has to be alone and isolated and hold the ground and keep teaching the Bible so that the people can grow. I'm going to spend and be spent for the sake of the body. That's, that's the norm. That's the example. And, and I wanted to think about Jesus. Because as I was thinking about Paul, I was thinking, well, Paul, how does this fit with Jesus? And uh, I was, you know, Paul said, I don't want you to know about the things that happened to me that they're for the furtherance of the gospel. And what things are happening to you? What things happened to Paul? And think about what things happened to Jesus. What things happened to our Lord? He didn't have any money. He didn't have money to pay his taxes. Remember, he got money out of a fish. Peter came, and remember, you guys know the story. He didn't have money to make an illustration. They asked him about taxes. And I got a great illustration. Anybody got a quarter? You ever think about that? Jesus couldn't reach in and go, look, this denarius. He's like, hey, I'm going to make a great point. It'll change your lives about government for the, all of time. Anybody got a denarius? Now, how does that lead to the furtherance of the gospel? You guys that don't have money, you're thinking, if I had money, then I could have the furtherance of the gospel. I don't have no money, so I can't further the gospel. Rich, you got it backwards. You got to have money to further the gospel. No, you don't. Jesus didn't have any money, and he is the gospel. Right? He didn't need any money to die and get crucified and get buried. He needed the power of the resurrection. He needed the will of God. Money, well, money's a tool. So don't, don't jump off the bridge yet about my point I'm making. Money's a tool. Sometimes God gives you a tool to accomplish something. But whatever tool God gives you to accomplish whatever he wants to do, well, that's the only tools you need, right? How, many, how much food do you need to feed 5,000 men? It's lunch. It's right before lunch, so that's a trick question. Some of you are like, I hope you finish, and we can find out how much food. (laughs) 
How much food do you need to feed 5,000 men? You need about five little loaves and a couple of fish. That'll work. That'll do it. What's the point? They learned that lesson so deeply. It impacted them so much that Jesus did it twice. Why did he do it twice? Because no one believes it. You don't believe it. Because you've been complaining about how much money you don't have. Right? You've been thinking, if I had a building, then uh, I'd be a good Bible teacher. Well, if I had that, Kittles, I could have not understand it as much as you. So glad it's digital now, so you can't boast about it. You want to see how big, awesome my life is? right here. My library is right here. It's all digital. There's no, like, look at my walls. They will show you all the books I haven't read. <laughs> Sorry, I got a lot of pent-up bitterness from my past. <laughs> that was a mark of manhood, man, and the other. Sheesh. How does it further the gospel when you don't have money? You learn to walk by faith. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to tell you, you have enough money to do what he wants you to do. It's a tool. He gave you the tool. Take them five loaves and two fish and feed a bunch of people with it. Watch a miracle happen. We're Pentecostals, you guys. Calvary Chapel, man, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe Jesus in this room right now. That he's speaking to our hearts and he's telling you guys something. Some of you guys are getting a word from the Lord. And he's telling you what you have is exactly what he wants you to have. To do what he wants you to do, it'll be plenty. You just got to give it to him, let him break it, which is what he'll do when you give him stuff. (laughs) Did you ever read that passage and think about it? Bring it to me. (laughs) Serious? I don't know you're going to break it. I wouldn't have given it to you. It's the only thing I got. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I'd do more if I had more money. Don't ever say that. That's not true. You do exactly what you're doing right now. Money's just a, the tools is an excuse at that point. Do, let God do whatever he wants to do with whatever he gave you. You know, Jesus was misunderstood by his disciples. I wanted to read a bunch of verses to you. I think you'll get the point. Mark 9, 32. They didn't understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Luke 2, 50. They didn't understand the statement that he spoke to them. Luke 9, 45. They didn't understand this saying. It was hidden from them, so they didn't perceive it. John 8, 27. They didn't understand that he spoke to them about the Father. John 10, 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things that he spoke to them. Preachers? Bible teachers? Isn't that awesome? You use a great illustration. They're looking at it like, oh, what are you talking about? John 12, 16. His disciples did not understand these things. There's kind of a theme in the Gospels. His disciples, the men that he chose that he's trying to disciple, don't understand him. But listen, let me keep reading John 12, 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written about him, that, he'd done these, that they'd done these things to him. So here's what that verse is saying. They didn't understand. But once he got killed, ah, now I know what he's talking about. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> the people are just waiting for you to die. They don't understand what you're saying. But when they watch you die... They'll go, I know what he's talking about. But if you don't die, they may never get it. The things that have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I had a friend, uh, he called me, wanted some advice. And uh, there was a church split happening, you know, and they were the board and the, all the pastors said, I want to get rid of the pastor. And he called me and goes, I, they want, I, want to be the, I think they want me to be the pastor. I think I should do it. What do you think? And I said, listen, when there's a mutiny and the guys that are mutinying and they want you to be the leader, you're asking to be the captain of the pirates. <laughs> okay, so you will then be captain of the pirates. 
and you will have just taught them that you should kill the captain. You exampled that. You want to be careful of the example that you present to people. This can turn into a, a furtherance of the gospel when they don't understand. You, you have a chance when people are not understanding to be patient with them and to die, to suffer a slow and painful death. Crucifixion's not quick. That's why your ministry feels the way it feels. It's like, I wish this would just get... No, it's like a crucifixion, man. Just hang there dying for like till you suffocate. Long time. It just keeps going. That's the point of crucifixion. It's, it's designed to be torture, to make it last, to send an even stronger message that you don't mess with the people that are crucifying people. Jesus died on the cross for a reason. I mean, for our sins, but there's a reason it's the cross. Be of good cheer. You're following the master. His disciples were not interested in spiritual things. Are your disciples interested in spiritual things, or are they caught up in petty discussions? Motivated by their own personal interests, more excited about the game or the team or the stock market or Trump or not Trump or whatever. These guys that Jesus was with, they were having constant arguments about which one of them was the most important guy. They were self-promoting and self-interested disciples. His disciples didn't catch his vision for ministry. Two guys wanted to call down fire from heaven and exterminate a group of people. Uh, All of them decided we should get rid of all kids. Uh, And they all banded together and said, let's get rid of, in fact, all people. Send the people away, Lord. Right? Didn't they say that? Get rid of the people. You've heard the statement, uh, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. Right? You've heard that. You know when that was first coined? The disciples of Jesus. (laughs) We're out in a desert place. Send them away. Move the people along. They were not interested in the cross. They wanted to promote themselves. They wanted to sit at the right hand and the left hand. How does this further the gospel? The things that have happened... Jesus said, hey, the things that happened to me were the furtherance of the gospel. How does it further the gospel when self-interested, petty, disgusting, not catching your vision people are the only people that come to your home fellowship? It means you're making disciples. You got raw materials. Those people are not disciples at all. You get to make them into a disciple. You get to make disciples. That means people will come and they're not disciples. You're going to be working with not disciples. They're self-interested. They're not wanting to go to the cross. They're, you're going to teach them how to do that. You're going to help them. You're going to minister to them. They're like ore. They're like raw materials in the ground. We were in, uh, in Ghana, and we were in the north of Ghana in a rural area preaching the gospel. Or actually, I think we actually crossed the border. We were in Burkina Faso when this happened. And one of the guys told me, like, hey, we're going to be in an area. There's gold. They're digging for gold, and it's kind of like you have to be a little careful. And, I, and I'm from California. The largest migration of humanity that ever happened that wasn't caused by war or famine is the gold rush, 1849. That's why Sacramento, where I live, I'm just south of Sacramento in Elk Grove, just a little suburb of Sacramento, and so Sacramento is the capital, and people come to California now, and they go, why is Sacramento the capital? You, don't, you can't understand it unless you understand gold. Sacramento is at the, the meeting place of the Sacramento River and the American River, and the gold was discovered at the American River, so the capital went right there. That's where the gold's coming down, all the people coming through. Uh, so I know all about that. And you hear that about gold fever. People got gold fever. And so I, I kind of thought, I wanted to see someone with gold fever. Like, is that really a thing? Like, I, you know, we have to go to school. Fourth grade is all about California history. And so I was like, I want to see gold fever for myself. So we got there. I saw it. It was, it was really sad. I mean, we're no electricity. We're in the bush, like mud huts. We find this open field, and there are people, and they, they have hand tools that they've made. Like, like they've got a piece of wood, they've shoved some metal in it, and they're scratching at the ground and trying to get their attention. They, their eyes are glazed over. I mean, they're, they're filthy dirty. They're just dusty. I don't know how, when they last washed or ate. It's almost like a drug addict. And they're just scratching in the dirt like, it's here, I know it is. There's gold in them our hills. <laughs> You've seen like Pro- Prospector Pete. The dude hasn't washed, his hair's everywhere. Like, ah, oh, he's got his mule. Ah, oh, I'm going for the gold. Right? That's a real thing. I saw it with my own eyes. Now, here's this illustration. I hope you can understand it. Can you guys be like that? See, when you find a group of people that are not disciples, you need to look at them like, I found gold. 
I found gold. I can refine this. Man, this is precious right here. These people are not disciples, and I was called to make disciples, and there's a whole mountain. <laughs> there's disciples, and then there are carnal psychos. <laughs> Did I say that out loud, or was I thinking that? I wasn't thinking about the church I currently pastor. Other people I've known many, many years ago, decades ago. You know who caught gold fever? God. Jesus told a parable about gold fever. You know the parable? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And he went and sold everything he had so he could buy the field so he could get the treasure. Who gave up everything they had to get a treasure out of a field? Was that you? No, that was God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God bought a treasure. God sees the people and he sees them all messed up. That's why he sent someone to go make disciples. We have to, we have, it furthers the gospel. We can look and say, this actual difficulty, the fact that this is so hard, I'm actually right in the middle of the right spot. Because there's battle here. So they need someone to fight. There's farming that needs to be done. So they need a farmer. You know, the weeds have to be pulled. Someone needs to pull the weeds. Have you found a treasure in the field? <laughs> Would you sell everything to get it? No, I'm trying to get out. The denomination I came out of, pastors are on a stepping stone program. You, take, you get your starting ministry so that you do a good job, and then they're like, hey, that guy's promising. And then you leapfrog, and you jump to the next one, and then you try to get up so, so that you can increase your vacations and your bonuses and how much money you get and your status and all of that. We have a whole different model from Paul, from Jesus. Jesus was, under, was misunderstood by his fellow ministers. And you say, Jesus didn't have fellow ministers. He had one. What was his name? John the Baptist. You say, John the Baptist didn't misunderstand Jesus. Did John the Baptist question the ministry of Jesus? Did John the Baptist question Jesus' choices about what he was doing? Yeah. <laughs> Can we reword John's? John's question was, are you the one or do we need to be looking for someone else? Can we reword that? What in the world are you doing? How about maybe like this? Maybe this is still the sense of it. I've been checking out what you're doing and it doesn't make any sense. Should we find someone else? You say, maybe that hasn't happened to you. Maybe it is happening to you. It will happen to you for sure. If it hasn't happened yet. How does this further the gospel? This is one of those blows that, that lengthens the metal. This is one of those, you're trying to get out the harbor, man. You've got to hit through these waves. This is one of those things that can produce in you a brokenness. We want to be open to what our brothers would say to us, right? But Damien made my point last night. Before our own master, we stand or fall. This was in my notes. Uh, George Whitfield, the great uh, evangelist, uh, from the Great Awakening, he said this, I'm content to wait until the judgment day for the clearing up of my reputation. And after I'm dead, I desire no other epitaph than this. Here lies, here lies G.W. What sort of man he was, the great day will discover. This is common. That was 250 years ago, 270 years ago. Jesus said the lamp of your body is your eye. And if your eye is single... Your whole body will be full of light. If you want your whole body to be full of light, that singularity of your focus, if you can have a... There's a fly, Beelzebub. He's getting me. <laughs> Lord of the flies, send one of his minions. Go get the guys in the pew. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is single, if you can have a single eye, man, your whole body's going to be full of light. But then he said, if your eye is evil, your whole body is full of darkness. And then he said, how great is that darkness? You could be in the ministry and not have a single eye. And man, you start getting darkness. And you don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. But you get a single eye. And you know, being misunderstood by fellow ministers, that'll get you some singleness going on. 
And you're like, all right, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Like, I had to go back to the Lord. It, it was great teaching last night on that. Anything that produces singularity, anything that can cause me to zero back in and go, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Who am I? What did God call me to do? Am I doing what God told me to do? I stand before you, Lord. What are you telling me? And then just do what God told you to do. Man, your whole body, the result is your whole body's full of light. I had another point. I don't have time for it. Jesus didn't have proper rest, have a proper diet, or get good sleep. Right? And if you've fallen asleep in a boat in a storm, you probably didn't get good sleep. If you're sitting down, I got to sit at the well, you guys go get food. No, I'm going to go get food. <laughs> you guys wait here. I'll, eat, I'll be eating. You ever eat while you're walking back? He didn't have a proper diet. Now, um, how does this further the gospel? It doesn't. Get good sleep, eat good food. But didn't Paul say, and we heard it just in the last session, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Sometimes our physical infirmities will make us depend upon the Lord more. So we look at all these things and say, what are the things that happen? And you know, I want to tell you guys, if you look at them from a perspective, you'll see that actually the things that are happening, they actually might be working by blows to cause the gospel to go forward. The gospel goes forward by blows. And what's happening to you? Perhaps there's a brokenness taking place in your life that can lead to greater fruitfulness. Is there a brokenness taking place in your life? I want to tell you on behalf of Jesus that it's happening to lead to greater fruitfulness. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will stay alone. But if it dies, it'll produce fruit. We need to embrace the fellowship of his sufferings because embracing the fellowship of his sufferings creates that, that move of the Spirit and it creates that openness in the Spirit now. He's ready to manifest his power. But his power is manifested through the cross, through our embracing the cross. It's not self-exaltation and then I get power. That, that's not the way of the cross. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is is the fellowship of his sufferings and and embracing that, realizing that these things are going to lead to the blows that strike, that make progress, and the Spirit's power will be poured out. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our movement. We don't need anything else. We need to be focused on Jesus, and our whole bodies will be full of light. You want your church to be full of light? Then get a single eye. Because the lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. It's true personally. It's true in your leadership in the congregation. And we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that happens as men of God are willing to carry their cross and deny themselves and follow Jesus. Let's take a minute to pray. Just right where you're at. Just quiet right now. Just bow your heads and if you need to confess, then confess. You're complaining. The Bible says do all things without grumbling and complaining. Some of you need to confess because you're a big grumbler. Confess it, embrace it, and say, Lord, I'm embracing the fellowship of the suffering. I'm sharing in it. I want the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's receive a fresh empowering of the Spirit. Talk to the Lord. Let him speak to you. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Rich Chafin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Rich's teaching ministry by visiting cclc.org.